fiddling around and thinking, oh, I'm just about to give up. And then suddenly it's like, oh, it's working. This is amazing. This is, this is. Oh, um, yeah. Um, I didn't know if you, if we were, if you were going to be doing audio FaceTime or what, but uh, I've had my phone on. So, um, are, are you good? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm just wondering, <laughs> I know this might sound strange, but I'm just wondering, I guess this is, I guess this is kind of free, isn't it? If it's FaceTime. I don't know. Uh, I've been told it is if it's FaceTime, but that's <laughs> well, your I'll, call. I don't I'll know. see if I've got any credit left. <laughs> oh, it could be interesting. Anyway, look, this is magic. You know, what can possibly go wrong? This is, I know I've been using Skype quite a lot and that seems quite straightforward. And then suddenly it's like FaceTime. It's like, I think this works, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, Any, anyway, well, thank you ever so um, much. Are you, are you, sure, um, you're a little bit tough to hear as it sounds like there's some sort of an a little bit of an echo going on can you um are, are am i on speakerphone or is this um are you going to be recording this i assume yeah i'm recording it and um i've just got i've got the headphones and the microphone i mean it's a little bit i've noticed with facetime it's often a bit quieter than than skype but we'll just have to wait and see because often okay. you're, you're quite low in my headphones but I think it will just generally be okay. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm just, you're just um, a little bit difficult to understand. I can like hear you, yeah. but um, it's it's weird enunciation going on and it's not you, unless maybe you slow down your voice or something because the clarity is a little weird. But um, But we can get through this, I'm sure. Yeah, well, what I normally do, because there's often with broadband, there's a bit of a gap. <clears throat> you know, when two people speak at once, it often all breaks up a bit. I think it's kind of some some reason to do with the usage or something. So I probably won't sort of be interrupting or saying yes, no, yes, absolutely between conversations. So. Yeah, but I, I I'm having difficulty even understanding what you're saying just now. I'm I'm sorry. I'm it's not. I don't think it's your accent. I think it's just that it, it almost sounds like it's muffled. It's weird. It's not cutting out. Oh. It's um, uh, um, my my manager is saying to try it again. You want to call me again, and we can we can try it. How does it sound now? It sounds. Uh, I I heard what you said, but um, I think it's st it still may be a problem. Okay. If we, if it's a, if it's going to be if it's going to be aired. I think I'm going to be asking you to repeat yourself a lot, unless you edit it together. If you edit it, then <clears throat> yeah, it's probably could, cool. Yeah, I mean, I should be able to edit it all okay. I mean, I can hear it in my headphones, and it sounds fine. So I think it should be okay. all right. Okay, um, I, I understood you perfectly there. So um, whatever you did, it's much better. Okay. So, um, Okay, so let's just, uh, if, if you're cool with proceeding, I, I'm cool with proceeding too. Brilliant. Okay, well, thank, again, thank you ever so much for doing this because um, I've been doing this show now for over 18 months and been sort of going through a lot of bands and, and obviously a lot of the bands from the 80s especially and hearing their journey and a lot of them seem to be slowly sort of coming back and doing more creative stuff. So the same thing seems to have happened with L7 because you... You've got a sort of quite a few dates, and also you've had your film come out. So you've you've sort of also started to um, regain, you know, the passion of playing in the band and music again. Yes, well, you know, um, 
when we first discussed the reunion, it was sort of, uh, we were already discussing, um, we were, had already been in contact with each other over the making of this documentary. And so um, then talk of doing some shows came up. But when I approached the band with that, I didn't want to lay on us a heavy burden of writing new material at that time. Cause I, I, we, none of us really knew how much we would enjoy it, you know? So, um, and now after this time, we've enjoyed it greatly and, um, want to be creative with each other again. So, um, we put out a single called dispatch from Mar-a-Lago back in October, I think. And, uh, we'll be putting out another track in February and then, uh, we, you know, we're talking about um, future stuff as well. Yes, because I noticed you've got quite a few dates coming up, including, you know, John Walters and also playing in Las Vegas and also playing with Bad Religion as well. So have you become quite excited with the uh, prospect of 2018? Yes, we're, um, we will be going to, uh, I don't know if we've announced this yet, we'll be going to other places in the world as well. So, um, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it sounds so stupid, but I, I'm not sure if I can say that, but, uh, screw it. I'll say it anyway. We're going to, um, uh, Mexico city in South America in May and, um, June, I think we're hopping over the pond and, and hitting, uh, uh, Europe and the UK. So, um, oh yeah, th I think that's been announced. We're playing download in, uh, Madrid and some other dates. So, um, yeah. So we'll be busy in 2018. And, um, and tonight, actually, I'm, I'm cramming right now because uh, I, I will be performing the choruses of You've Got Another Thing Coming. And uh, my friends have a Judas Priestess band. <laughs> and so that's what I'm working on right now. And then um, on Friday, I'm doing a talk at UCLA on... Uh, on our documentary film. So we're kind of running the gamut here of, uh, from metal to academia. So, um, that's kind of cool. That is cool. I mean, when you look back, yeah. you know, when you sort of go back just about three decades to, to when the band started, does that, does that seem to you an incredibly long time ago? And do you sort of recognize yourself that much? Um, the, 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 the beginning years seemed like a very long time ago, ago because they were very, very difficult and really kind of depressing. And when I look back at it, I'm just like, oh, my God, that was so it was so bleak. And how Susie and I just continued to work on the band and do the band just blows my mind because I would never have the constitution to do that now. Um, as how difficult it was and all the crappy gigs and all the, all the, uh, sketchy people around and all that stuff. So, um, but you know, when we got to the sort of the 1989 mark and into 90, then we got sort of associated with sub pop and that was very, um, you know, coming into full, you know, full strength then. So we got pretty lucky that we got hooked into that scene because, um, it helps propel us onward. Yes. Know? And also, I remember in the autumn, I, I sort of did an interview with Fast Eddie from Motorhead. He was talking about their early days. 
And uh, this was kind of, I suppose, in the mid to late 70s, mid 70s. And the fact that uh, when they started, you know, everything in this country was so bleak and there was just no money. And the fact that they'd often play gigs and they hadn't got their sound sorted and, and often they didn't have any money or to get any petrol to drive home. So they'd have to sort of try and get the breakdown service to give them a free lift home. And, and the fact that they, there was so much at the time they were living in squats and in poverty I mean, did you have a sort of similar sort of experience? Um, yes, we never lived in squats. Um, we were uh, we were broke, but I wouldn't say we were impoverished. You know what I mean? I think that that's, we're all, um, you know, I think we all had a middle class safety net back home if, if shit really got bad. You know what I mean? So... I don't know if those guys are from a more working class um, background. You know, as a band, we were broke. But, you know, as our whole identities, as the way we grew up, we were not um, uh, that broke, you know. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, early on, we, we had a van. We drove ourselves. We moved all our gear ourselves. We slept on people's floors when we were on tour. We never had hotels. Um, you know, we'd usually be staying at a fan's house or at a promoter's house with sleeping bags and um, not making any money and just kind of doing the grind, you know. But it was really exciting and fun, too, because I never thought in a million years that I would be on a tour or even in a band, for that matter. So... It was all great, you know, mm. and luckily we did start to um, move up the ladder because I think many more years of roughing it that way, I don't think we would have lasted, you know. Yeah, but it's interesting because having done so many of these interviews, the one thing I've noticed is this great five-year arc or narrative that most bands have. And in this country, there was... um. You know, they, they made a bit of a sound, which they were quite excited and surprised by. And then they did a single, and it often used to get played on the John Peel show, which was kind of the, the radio station that most alternative stuff got played on. And that would sort of catapult them to doing a bit of a tour, and then there would be an album. And then there was also that tricky second album. And if anybody ever toured America, that, that sort of was the death of most bands. So that sort of five years and that making of the second album is often the, the death of a band. So how did you manage to sort of navigate yourself through those murky waters? Well, we had, a, um, as far as our albums went, we had a much different story. Our first album was on Epitaph Records. We were one of the first bands on Epitaph and it went nowhere. So that was a complete flop. And then we got, so that was our first album. And then our second record was with Sub Pop. And um, that was kind of launched by a single called Shove. So most people kind of consider that our first record, or even they, they consider our next record, Bricks Are Heavy, which is our first major label record, our first record. So there's a whole lot of confusion over what, you know, our first record was just called L7. Our second record was called Smell the Magic on Sub Pop. Our third record was Bricks Are Heavy with our first sort of mini mainstream hit, Pretend We're Dead. So that was our third album, you know. So we have a much different um, thing, almost kind of like, 
you know, it's not even, yeah. I, so we had a different, we had a different thing going on, but, um, yeah, so I don't really know how to answer that question. I think that, um, our second major label record, Hungry for Stink, uh, didn't, did about as well or didn't do as well as, as Bricks Are Heavy. And then, um, it sort of just sort of slid downhill from there as far as our record sales. Yes. Because it was interesting, because in the sort of 80s in here, you know, we had a lot of the sort of, I suppose the, it was the indie scene, which was kind of like bands like um, The Smiths and that kind of jangly sound. And I noticed about 87, most of those bands were sort of coming to an end and The Smiths broke up. And then you had the dance music scene, with which had bands like Happy Mondays and Stone Roses. And then you had the Seattle scene, which was coming over. And I remember John Peel playing, there was a particular compilation that he played Sub Pop 100, and then he played Sub Pop 200. And that was when I first got to uh, see an interview, dear old um, Kurt Cobain, because they were sort of touring with Tad at that time, and um, they were playing at the Art Centre. And that was kind of interesting, because any bands that were sort of from America, anybody in the UK would just all auto- automatically sort of love them. And I was just, you know, I'd interviewed one of the members of Galaxy 500, and he said, it was so much easier being big in England than it is being big in America. Um, well, um, America, American cities are very spread out unless you're on the East Coast. Uh, so it's difficult to tour. And our music publications were monthly. So I think that you guys with your weekly, what is Melody Maker and Enemy and stuff? That's like weekly or what? Yeah, that was every, was every day, week right? we got those. It was like the Bible. Yeah, so I think it kept things very fresh over there. Um, the U.S. was very sort of stale. And um, so the underground scenes were really kind of uh, percolating without getting into uh, any sort of coverage at all in the U.S., um, I think uh, sub-pop bands did better in the UK than they did in the US at first. And at the same time, there were there were some fantastic, there was like, obviously we, we just kind of went crazy because it was Big Black, there was the Butthole Surfers, then there was the Band of Susans, the Luna Chicks, you know, the Pixies, Throw Muses. So we, you know, we just couldn't believe what amazing music was coming over. And then there was obviously... L7 as well and and so you know anybody from America we'd automatically jump on because it always just seems so much more exotic and obviously you you know you must have found an audience quite quickly in the UK um well the first time we played the UK we were opening for Nirvana so and that was in 1990 so we had already been a band for five years at that point, and Nirvana was there was a bidding war for Nirvana at that time, and and our record had come out, you know, Smell the Magic had come out, and we had already had a hit with Shove, and so we, um, in opening for them, they, you know, the, the the UK audiences knew who we were, uh, and were fairly receptive to us. Um, so yeah, and I, I just think that the U.S. had um, sort of more hard rock going on coming to you guys, and you guys were still sort of, uh, you know, the dance stuff and the and the um, the jangly stuff, and it, it was two different um, 
two different things coming out of two different places, which were both interesting. Um, yeah. And also, it's I just mean, this grunge it, kind of took over. Yeah, and what would I mean? Sort of because you've had sort of so much experience and had so much in life, being in the band. What would you say to your eighteen-year-old self that was starting out in music? My eighteen-year-old self, I would say. Um, Pretty much do exactly what you did. <laughs> Keep going. Do exactly what you're doing, and and you'll get there. And uh, and um, don't be put down by um, creeps who are maybe a little bit envious of where you're going, and they try to bring you know they try to drag you down. So uh, that's what I would say, you know, yeah. to my 18 year old I mean, self. Did it feel when you started to sort of think about putting together, I mean, what was the process of when the band sort of sort of came back together again, sort of in the sort of mid-2014, 2015? Did you, I mean, had there been a period where you hadn't seen many of the other members for a while? Um, well, Dee and I have always been friends and in contact. I hadn't seen Susie or spoken with Susie since, um, 2001. And I hadn't, I, I, I had seen Jennifer, but not really spoken to her, um, since 1996. So it was a good 15, 20 years with no, um, contact. And then I sort of had to contact them via email to get them to participate in this documentary. So that was sort of the first thing that was opening up the the uh, communication lines, you know. And everybody wanted to be involved with the documentary, so um, that was uh, that was cool. But you know, when I first contacted them, I didn't know how feelings would be. I didn't know if it was going to be weird, but it, it's all been really great. So uh, I think a lot of things in the past are under the bridge. I think I think when bands break up. It's usually because of uh, money difficulties. Um, ours wasn't really a case of, of egos getting out of control. It was all financial hardship. So that's what broke us up in the first place. And there's a lot of blaming going on when that stuff happens. So, um, you know, so many years later, it's, it's all good, you know. Yes. I mean, that's the other thing that I've noticed with a lot of the bands as well is that there was never that opportunity, you know, once the sort of the, the sort of the band started to roll and things started to sort of come thick and fast of, of getting the admin and the publishing rights and the management sorted out. I mean, was that something that you sort of, it crept up and sort of bit you on the leg a bit later? Well, we didn't have a label and we fired our manager. And so we were sort of without a support system and it wasn't like our manager was doing us any good anyway. That's why they were fired. But, um, you know, we had no money coming in and our shows were not generating enough to support us. And we had no recording budget. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't keep going and you're, and you're, you know, you're, uh, you're in your late thirties on the cusp of 40 and you start to freak out a little bit that, that you have nothing. So, uh, you know, you have nothing but, but music, which is great, but, <laughs> you know, you've got nothing else. 
so uh you know people freak out on that and when you sort of started sort of making sort of grand to um or announce that you were sort of coming back together again did you find an amazing sort of uh, wave of goodwill and sort of fans coming out of the woodwork kind of with great happiness Yeah, well, well, I saw an indication of that through our Facebook page that I started doing just for archival purposes. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the excitement and the engagement on our Facebook page was pretty, pretty mind-blowing uh, from our fans who were still around. And then, a, and then a younger group of kids who were just kind of um, discovering us. So uh, our shows have been really really great and very joyous and super fun and people it gives people an outlet to really you know flip the bird and scream out loud and smile and have fun you know so it's just been a positive thing uh this whole reunion stuff and when you got when you got the chance to see the final film, you know when it was all edited and you sort watched it, you, the film that came out a few years ago and that had been funded through your Kickstarter campaign. Did you did you feel quite amazed watching yourself on screen and seeing the process? Well, I saw the process from the get go because I had seen many many rough cuts and participated in the edit, and so. Um, and I was familiar with most of the footage as well because I had been viewing it for a few years in preparation to hand it over to the director. So I was pretty familiar with it. I mean, when I first watched some of the home movies that I hadn't seen in many years, I was just laughing a lot. And I was also in the performance footage, I was pretty blown away because I saw the contribution that each band member made as a, as a completed thing. You know what I mean? Like when you're on stage, you can't really see what everybody else is doing or what they're, you know, it's, it's a weird thing. It's very kind of, uh, I don't know, sometimes in your own head, you know, but viewing all of us on stage, I was just like, wow, not bad. You know, like it, I was, uh, as objectively as possible, I was kind of impressed, you know, I was like, not fucking bad. That's pretty, you know, we sound pretty good and, and, and we're uh, entertaining, you know? So, um, I was pretty, uh, proud of that. Excellent. And when you sort of just find a question, when you sort of look back on the, your, your sort of albums and output, which is the one that gives you the kind of biggest happiness or the sort of most happiness? Um, well, I don't listen to our records a lot, and I get confused sometimes what song is on which record. But uh, I like all of them. I think they're all they're all great. Uh, the in my mind, I enjoy listening to all of them. It's music that I still, um, you know, I listen to it. It rocks me, you know, uh, and so that's great. I don't I don't find it to be particularly dated. I don't find it to be particularly avant-garde it's just sort of meat and potatoes rock and roll you know it's like there's not a lot to figure out it's just kind of there and it's got some attitude and it's got some humor and it's got some fight 
and uh, and I dig it. So, you know, I, I don't listen to a lot of rock and roll around the house. You know what I mean? Like when I'm driving, yeah, but like around the house, I, I don't. So, you know, um, I think we're, uh, objectively speaking to my younger self, I would say, yeah, you're a good rock band, you know. Excellent. Well, look, I've got quite a bit there. So thank you ever so much for uh, giving me the time. I hope the quality was okay at the end with you, well, at the beginning as well, with my vocals. It was, it was fine. I, 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 I deciphered. I got it. So I, I hope I was okay. And um, thank you so much. I really, uh, I really appreciate the, the coverage and the attention. So thanks a lot. Well, thank you. And have a fantastic day. And, uh, yes, I'll be uh, okay. looking out okay. for your Okay, you too, man. See you. And what is your name? David. David. Thank you, David. And uh, come out and see us in the U- in uh, where where are you where are you at Norwich? Is that where you are? Yeah, near London. Okay. All right. Well, if you want to come out to the show, you know we'll be playing there soon. So in June. So um, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but whatever. I did. Uh, okay. Excellent. Okay then. That's great. And um, yes, I'll keep in touch. And I'll tell you when I put the uh, feature and um, show out with your uh, L7 special. But anyway, I hope it goes really well and uh, you have a fantastic year. Okay, thanks, David. Bye. Okay, bye.